the advice I'll give people living with multiple sclerosis is don't give up. Believe in yourself. Because once you think, okay, I have this, I can't progress, I can't do this, it's going to drain you and you cannot live down below. Mm. It's really hit you once. So encourage yourself, build yourself up, go out, do something you haven't done before. Like, and the community, don't suspect people. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African. Today, we will be talking about a very important but rare disease called multiple sclerosis. And as a scientist, I actually know about multiple sclerosis, but I don't really know in depth. But actually, it came about having that as a very important and needed topic to talk about today with our African community from a conversation I recently had with a friend. And her name is Fuen Berry. And she will actually be here to talk about it today. And she, you know, disclosed to me that she had a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. And that caught me aback because that's something that we really don't have or hear about in our communities, right? If I remember, we call that like the white man sick, like the Western, a disease of the Westerners, you know. So it was really appalling that I've known her for all these years and I did not know that she had this diagnosis, you know, and it was very empowering for her to share her story with me and I just could not wait to bring her over here to tell the world and to inspire those who actually are going through the same thing and also to serve as a source of information and awareness to our community because these are the kind of diseases that we really don't pay much mind to. So I also have here with me Dr. Ngaka, who is a neurologist, and he is practicing currently in Cameroon, which is West Africa or Central Africa, depending on who you're talking to. So they're both here with me, and we will definitely dive into the disease of multiple sclerosis. Uh, Fuen is going to talk about her story. Dr. Ngaka is going to give a scientific insight or perspective with respect to this disease. So I hope that you guys can learn so much from this conversation as I hope to learn as well. So I want to welcome you, Wen and Dr. Ngaka, to this episode. How are you guys doing today? Anyo, I'm fine. I'm, I'm really pleased to be here this afternoon or evening, depending on where you find yourself. It's evening in Cameroon. Right. And uh, I'm pleased also to meet Fuen. I think the subject of discussion this evening is something really interesting and important because it's usually greatly neglected in our communities. Meanwhile, right. it's ravaging it slowly. Yeah. And uh, I think it's important that we get the population 
informed. Yes. They learn about it so that together we see how we could either go early to the hospital for screening right. and for better management. So I think it's a good subject uh, to talk about. And I also want to say thank you for all what you've been doing. I think I've followed your podcast the past few days and I've seen that you've been doing a lot. So thank you very much. Thank I'm you. pleased to meet you. Pleased to meet Foyn. So. <laughs> thank you so much. I really want to welcome you both here. And I can't wait to hear all the stories from both your experience with your patients and also from Fuen's story. So let's just dive right deep into it. So before that, anyways, I was actually looking at, you know, I was doing some research on the prevalence of multiple sclerosis worldwide. And I came across this Atlas of Multiple Sclerosis. It's actually on the Atlas of MS.org. And that's a map online. And, you know, I was looking at the different, it was like a, a world map with, you know, a legend that showed the concentration or the prevalence of multiple sclerosis in different parts of the world. And I saw that in Africa, Africa actually accounts for the lowest, you know, most of, you know, the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis is in like North America, that's the highest. And then you go all the way to like the Eastern part of the world, which is like Asia And then you have Australia, which also carries a heavy weight. But a lot of, you know, the countries in Africa could not be accounted for. And that could factor in, you know, a lot of things. It doesn't mean that multiple sclerosis is not diagnosed in these areas. It's just that they're not accounted for. Maybe there are no, there's no census on that. Yeah, there's no statistics on that. There's no recording on that, you know. So, or maybe there's just poor electronic records or poor recording of those cases or incidents. So that was pretty alarming because sometimes, you know, they always say that it's real when it hits home, you know, and to to have a friend who actually has that and it's something that I had never even thought about. I mean, when we think about diseases, we think of malaria, typhoid, cholera, you know, now we're sort of thinking about the non-communicable diseases like hypertension, diabetes, cancer. But, you know, the rare diseases like multiple sclerosis, we really don't, you know, Think about it. Neither do we even have a lot of practitioners back home who can actually yeah. diagnose and treat this condition effectively. So, Dr. Ngaka, I really thank you for coming on here. And I really want you to give us an insight on what exactly multiple sclerosis is. So we're going to talk about the pathophysiology, the prognosis, the signs and symptoms, and how it's diagnosed, and just everything, just giving a holistic outlook on multiple sclerosis. All right, thank you, Anya Fombat. Multiple sclerosis falls under a category of disorders in neurology called primary inflammatory disease. When we talk about primary inflammatory, what's inflammation? Inflammation is the mechanism by which the body fights foreign agents which come into, which are affected. When we have an infection, the body through inflammation will put in place an inflammatory mechanism, release its own defense system to fight this foreign body which got into the body and the aim is to crush and destroy the foreign particle so in primary inflammatory diseases like multiple sclerosis the body produces soldiers produces its agents which were supposed to fight foreign bodies which come into it these agents produced by the body rather fight against the body itself so it's some form of auto-destruction and uh, what parts of the body is destroyed in this case. For multiple sclerosis, like other disease in that spectrum, which we call 
inflammatory disease of the, of the nervous system are going to attack the nerve fibers. The nerves are just are those small, they are like wires, they are like cables, which have a rubber coat around it. We have the thin copper wire in the middle, which conducts electricity or transfers information. So in this inflammatory disease, the body produces antibodies, which will destroy the plastic wire, the plastic, uh, the plastic, which is on top of the wire. And when that is destroyed, it disrupts the functioning of the nerves. And given that we have nerves in all parts of the body, we have it in the brain, we have it in the spinal cord, a huge concentration in the brain and in the spinal cord. So this disease is going to destroy the rubber or the myelin sheet. That rubber in medicine is called myelin sheet. It's going to destroy it both in the brain and in the spinal cord. And when that happens, it disrupts nerve functioning and that will give a series of manifestations which depend on which part of either the brain or the spinal cord is touched. So yeah. in summary, that's multiple sclerosis. It's a disease, we have so many diseases which fall in this category, and a very common one is neuromyelitis optica, which has very similar manifestations like multiple sclerosis, but it attacks to a lesser extent the brain. It touches more the spinal cord. So it's only until recently that scientists have been able to bring out the difference between multiple sclerosis and uh, neuromyelitis optica. So it's a disease which uh, neuromyelitis optica is more frequent in in the African population than find it in the Caucasian population. So talking about the prevalence of these conditions, in Europe, like we know, in Europe, the prevalence is relatively higher. It is said that about more than 30 per 100,000 people suffer from this condition. And studies in Africa especially in the northern part of Africa, shows that Africa has a slightly lower prevalence, which is around between 3 and 20 per 100,000 per population. Mm-hmm. And in sub-Saharan Africa, we have almost no data on that. And almost no data on that does not mean that we don't have. They may be rare, or it may be that for long. We have not had the possibilities to diagnose such conditions. Like we know the MRIs just came into sub-Saharan Africa not long ago. Yeah. So possible. And also sub-Saharan Africa has the least number of neurologists you will have in the whole wide world. So this met possibly the, the diagnosis of this condition a little bit rare in our population. But nevertheless, from our practice, we've had a few cases with this pathology, to say that it is not absent in yeah. sub-Saharan Africa as such. We have cases like this which do exist. And um, having cases like this which do exist, the next challenge comes is when do they arrive in the hospital? One of the greatest challenges we have in sub-Saharan Africa when it comes to diseases is most of the times they come to the hospital very late. Yes. And when they arrive there, it's difficult to manage them at that case. You will spend time managing either complications of the conditions. But if people could come to the hospital earlier, diagnosis done earlier, management put in place could help improve their quality of life. And for that to happen, you need to know the signs and symptoms. You need to know how it manifests and what to do when you have such signs and symptoms. And like I said earlier, the manifestations depend on which part of the brain is touched or which part of the central nervous system is touched. And one of the most common signs is what we have, optic neuritis. The patient has loss of sight. The person will have blurry vision. It's a a very common manifestation. And beyond that, we have either sensory deficit, we have motor deficit, you could even have 
even a para paresis, weakness of both limbs or four limbs, yeah. or you could have either weakness on one half of the body, mm-hmm. or you could lose speech. So there are a constellation of symptoms which this patient, which there is nothing specific for multiple sclerosis. It's when you assemble all the symptoms they present with, and uh, it, it, it can give you an orientation yeah. on uh, what this condition actually is. Now, which group of people does it touch more? Statistics show that women are two times more touched than men. Mm-hmm. And it touches women between the ages of 25 and 40, 45. It's within that age range. Mm-hmm. That's that huge. That is the most active part of somebody's life. And unfortunately, it is a greatly invalidating condition. That means when it touches the person, it leaves you with a lot of secular, either with motor sensory deficits. I remember a patient I received about a month ago. It's a young girl who just completed from ENS and was posted. Mm-hmm. And uh, this girl came with optic neuritis and uh, paraplegia. She had moved to different hospitals, moved to places before we received her. And that was when, when we started treatment, which should be given in emergency, though it was late, but our hope was to see how to improve the second in which this patient could, could have eventually. Mm-hmm. We gave her steroids, but after that, really, this lady didn't have any significant amelioration. So she left the hospital with, she's lost vision on both sides. She's on a wheelchair and she's on a urinary catheter. I mean, that's a 30-year-old girl. I mean, can you imagine a young girl on a, having a, 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 a urinary catheter? That, that has an impact on her quality of life, the way she lives in public. She can't move freely in public because she will be smelling urine, I mean, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And it also has an impact on her sexual life as well. Yeah. I mean, that's somebody with 30 years. So you see that it, its impact is really huge. And that's why I think that talking about multiple sclerosis this day, it's something important so that people can know about it. Patients think about it when they have symptoms, they rush to the hospital, and even doctors themselves have a high index of suspicion so that they can do what has to be done in order to improve the quality of life of these patients. Yes. So I think now I'll just end here and we'll continue discussion. If there are any other questions we can share. Yeah, thank you so much for that insightful introduction to this disease. And there were a few things that I just wanted to follow up on or piggyback on. You know, the reason why I wanted this topic to really be done And I really wanted us to give a lot of insight to our community. It's just because, like you said, a lot of the data on it is unknown. But that does not mean that it doesn't exist, right? It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. So it's something that, and and, and it's very important because, you know, when you, I just want to give insight on like what happens when your, your nerve cells are damaged. The nerve is the only part of the body that cannot be rebuilt when damaged. So if you have a wound and you bruise yourself, the wound heals. If you have a, you know, you lose blood or whatever, like you can always, your blood cells can make more blood and stuff like that. But the nerve tissue or the nerve cells, once they're damaged, they cannot be revived. So when he talks about, when uh, Dr. Ngaka talks about, you know, modal sensory deficits, Sensory deficits, you know, your nerves, you feel pain, you feel heat, you feel cold because of your active nerves. If your nerves are not functioning, you cannot sense all of this feeling. So you cannot feel heat. You cannot, you cannot, you can easily burn yourself and not even know that you've burnt yourself, you know. And also with the motor deficits, it's just like motor means, you know, movement. 
So you, you can lose your movement, your ability to walk and stuff like that. And when he was also talking about optic neuritis, again, optic neuritis is, you know, neuritis is just like an inflammation of your nerve cell and that could affect your vision, which, you know, it's optics. So I just want to break that down for those who don't understand. And lastly, mm. talking about the paraplegia, and these are all symptoms that could potentially happen with multiple sclerosis and even neuromyelitis optica. And lastly, with the paraplegia, paraplegia is just paralysis, right? So paraplegia, not being able to walk, you know, these are things that actually greatly affect the quality of life. So the earlier that these symptoms are reported to the doctor, don't wait till you have a headache before you go to the hospital. Don't wait till you feel pain or whatever. If you cannot feel things, if you are having issues with your vision, or if you're just having issues, even like moving and stuff, just hurry up to the hospital because these things could be better managed if they are caught as early as possible. And we have Fuen here mm -hmm. with us, Fuen Berry, who's my friend, like I mentioned, her own condition was hopefully caught as early as possible and she will be here to share her story. So Fuen, can you give us a brief background or preview of your story? Hi everyone. Hi, Dr. Ngaka. Hi, Anya. Thank you for having this conversation. I know I mentioned it to you. I think I hounded you a few times. I'm like, talk about MS because I don't think people know enough about MS. Yeah. Nor the symptoms because no symptoms are the same for everyone. But what I discovered within the group I was with is, well, those of them had vertigo. Because in 20, well, 2009, I literally collapsed. Like, I couldn't, not really, I couldn't walk. I could crawl. I couldn't walk. So I called my friend. I said, I need help off the floor and I wasn't I couldn't understand I couldn't walk so he came to my house she saw me on the floor I managed to open the door and I'm like I need help right now we called the ambulance went to hospital and doctor said you have vertigo and I said I live on the first floor so I don't know how high that is and what and is vertigo goes, actually for the people to understand what that means like how did you feel I felt sick just everything I ate came out I, I was just throwing up everywhere was spinning around spinning, me spinning yeah I was dizzy I couldn't understand what was going on. And the girl was just a bit, oh, um, are you pregnant? I said, no. I literally, oh, everyone was asking. I was like, no, 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 it's not possible. And I saw another doctor did to get a second opinion and did some scans. And the doctor said, well, um, I suspect something, but I can't really confirm that. And with that, I left the hospital. And fast forward to 2016, Easter Monday, I remember that I was having breakfast with my family. And I started throwing up. No reason at all, I just started throwing up. So my younger sister rushed me to the toilet, finished throwing up, and I was scared to eat one more time. Went to the doctor, ran a few tests, and ordered an MRI scan because I couldn't understand, but I wasn't, my balance was off. So I was walking, I was swaying. At that point, I had to get a walking stick because I couldn't walk without help. And when I got the results, the doctor asked for a second MRI scan to confirm the first results. I'm like, what are the results? He won't tell me. And when the results came, I got a call from another doctor. And he said, I was at work that day. And he called and said, um, have an HIV test. I said, I can do one. But last I did was in the surgery. He listed a few tests. I said, they're all in the surgery. And they all came out clear. And he goes, you have MS. I'm like, what's MS? And I thought of um, Jack Osborne. One of the Osborne's, Osborne kids. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, he has MS. But I was like, how do I how take an MS? What's, it's a bit strange. But the ease at which he said it, I cried. And I wiped my face, went back to my office, carried on with work. I text my siblings. So I'm like, I got news, but it's not good news. I have MS. My oldest sister called me immediately. She says, 
do not cry, come home. So I carried on work. I tried to distract myself. I was like, I'll think about it later. And I went, and Google is not your friend. Trust me. <laughs> I know. is not your friend. <laughs> Google gave me different things I'd not in my life. Yeah. I looked it up. I looked it up. I was like, MS. I didn't tell my parents at the time because I had not processed it myself. So I booked an appointment with that doctor, the same doctor. I'm like, can you explain MS to me in the simplest of terms? No medical term involved, just simplest of terms. So he drew a straight line. He said, this is your brain right now, process information, straight line. Then the zigzag. He said, this is what's happened to your brain right now. And it will never be the same as a straight line. And I was quiet for five minutes. I said, never. He goes, never. He goes, now let's see how bad the MS is. I cried. He, he didn't do a thing. He just, he just watched me. He goes, yeah, family around. I said, yeah, they're, they're here. But I don't have to tell them about it. So my sister came in and they're talking. I just literally zoned out. I saw everybody saying she'll understand. Just let me have like five, ten minutes. And I cried and cried and cried. And I was out in 15 minutes. I was like, fine, let's carry on. So I did um, determine how far gone it was. I did a spinal tap. And that hurts a lot. I was also in December. It was done and to determine how far the MS had grown. So you have, you have lesions in your brain. And a, a nurse came and saw me later and said, he's, what he said to me, I'll never forget. This was 2016. In June, he said to me, um, you've been in a wheelchair in, in three months. Literally, I, w- I, was, I was between stunned and confused why you tell me that. That's not what you tell a patient who has just heard this kind of news. Yeah. So my little second was with me, and she just held my hand. I was just, leave me alone, man. Don't hold my hand. Like, this is what you used to hold my hand for. Right. I was just, you know, you don't know what to do. Like, this is first of many. And with that, I was also every month for blood tests, for scans. What I would say to people is when you, when you, like Anya said, if you're not feeling fine, please go to hospital. If you suspect something, ask have an MRI scan. Another one will do. More than one. If you, if you doubt the first one, request. I know it's hard, harder maybe in Africa. Yeah. In Cameroon especially. But request for another one because it may determine how far gone this, the MS has spread. Because I asked to see the MRI scan when it came out. And they wouldn't show me. First doctor wouldn't show me. I said, it's a request. Or else I have to go through another means and you don't like it because I'm entitled to it. So they showed me a picture. I said, can you zoom in and show me the dots in my head? He showed it to me. I was quiet. I was like, okay, cool. Let's do this. I'm okay. And they put me on a, thank goodness for this day and age because there are several treatments. And I was like, I'm fine. Better yet, I haven't told my parents yet because I didn't know how to tell them. I didn't know what to say to them without them feeling concerned as a parent would, would be anyways. So I'm thinking, I'm not, what am I getting at this age? Like Dr. Ngaka said, it's when we're in our prime. Yeah. Yeah, getting it now. What am I meant to do? I, I think I plan to many things. I plan to do, I plan to do that. I feel like it just put a stop on my travel, stop on my life, stop on many things. But ignoring me, nothing stops me from doing what I have to do. Yeah. So I was like, cool, let's go. And then when I went to Cameroon, anyone say something, I was like, have you seen the doctor? Can you check this? Can you check that? You don't have MS, but the symptom is, because I have fatigue. So the symptoms I got were vertigo, fatigue, dizziness, because I lost my vision for a week. Everything around me was so blurry, because I know my house, I knew my route to work, route to the train station, it was fine. I don't need any help. After that, I'm on my own. So it's, it's crazy, but I trained myself in such a way that I knew what was around me. I knew what to do. But if I go to an unusual place, I'm lost. Yeah. So they did some scans, 
And doctor said, oh, there's some dots at the back of your eye. I'm like, I don't know. My eyes look like they tell me dots at the back of my eye. What does that mean? So a second doctor came in. <clears throat> he asked, did you have a wound or do you have a, an accident? I'm like, no. He goes, the dots at the back of your eye are unusual. So he explained further because you're just dropping words, unusual, dots at the back of my eye. We all wear glasses in my house. So what is the connection? The MS team sent me to them. So I said, is there a link with the MS? He said he wasn't too sure. So again, I'm leaving with questions in the back of my head. What is linked? What's linked with the eyes, the MS, the back, the dust, the back of what is going on? They couldn't answer. That doesn't leave me feeling fulfilled in what is going on. And I left with plenty of questions. So I spoke to my aunt. Um, she's an ophthalmologist. I'm an auntie Barry. Can you explain this to me? And she goes, yeah, uh, you should go to an MS hospital because they're trained for things like this. And she was quite helpful information, but Google just killed the hope in me because Google is telling you not to do what to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. So at the moment in time, I was looking at my diet, what should I eat, what should I limit eating. And knowing me, for example, Caribbean food is very healthy. It's very good mm-hmm. depending on how much you have it. Yeah. But <clears throat> I stuck with my literally not seafood kind of thing, but I love fish and all his families. I would dove on that. So I took working out more seriously. I took my diets. I took my uh, vitamins. Literally, if you see my doctor box, it's like I'm a patient for every illness on earth because everything is important. I, I panicked a lot because I didn't know what else to tell people my age and younger who may not know what it is. Yeah. Because I saw different doctors several times and everyone was like, um, they'll do a test, run another test. I just I got confused. So how many tests are you gonna run if you don't know what you're looking for? But when I got to MS Hospital, what they said to me was, You've had this for nine years. Hmm. And I was shocked. So what do you mean nine years? So yeah, you started developing nine years ago. And that's I was like, I was informed this, I was informed two, from three. I was like, No, you mean nine years ago. And I didn't understand, but then what clock was the migraines? As I have a migraine from three, and those hurt a lot. And I got migraines thinking it was a normal thing. It's not a normal thing to have migraine at mm-hmm. that age, and I have it till day. Yeah. So I was just piecing up, piecing, connecting all the dots, connecting all the dots. So I was just thinking, you know what? Something has to make sense. Because when we, you know, the causes, the symptoms, at this time, we're thinking, oh, wow, they're right. So it, it, it just grew and grew and grew. And it was, you said, wasn't discovered. Yeah. We didn't know what to, didn't know what to, didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I wouldn't have thought of anything, but take paracetamol, take this one, take the one yeah. away. No, that doesn't cure anything, but we didn't know what to do. So it was hard. It was harsh. And I said, you know what? Live your life. Don't live by, um, what if I can't travel? What if I can't do this? And I go, I take all the medication, take the migraine tablets, take the tablets for the treatment. I started with Lemtrada to suppress the growth of the MS. Mm-hmm. But right now, because I have, um, it's not working. I've got a thyroid, I developed a thyroid problem. So now they've changed it to a new treatment I start next month. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, this one works for me. They said, no, you have a thyroid problem. And it's not getting any better. So it's one thing leads to another, leads to another. Yeah. Uh, so what else can I get from the MS? Because like you said, I thought it was going to be MS and no stop. 
but the symptoms keep developing mm-hmm. and not everyone have a thyroid problem. At the moment, an overactive thyroid. Yeah. I said, can you take it out? And they're like, no, we'll let you know. So that was four months ago, you let me know. But the MS is being controlled. But I'm thinking, and I think of this, I think of those in Africa mm-hmm. who, who have the opportunity to have, you know, see a doctor, see, get the scans done, get treatment done, and access to doctors like Dungaka, who know what they're talking about. Yeah. Because if you don't know, you just be guessing. And guessing, that wouldn't help anybody. Yeah. You can visit all the 2,000 doctors on earth, but if you don't know exactly what you're searching for, it won't be of any good to anyone. Yeah. I can, I can, I can, I mean, your, your story is very mind-blowing, and when I, when you're, when you're talking about this story, I'm just looking at you like, oh my goodness, like you've been through so much, you know, and yeah. I had no idea, you know? <laughs> exactly, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's just mind-blowing, you know? I, I'm so sorry to hear about everything that you've been through. And, you know, mm-hmm. you have still managed to keep your spirits high. You have still mm-hmm. been the same jovial friend that I've known for all that you've not changed at all. You know, I mean, <laughs> it takes so much strength to really withstand and sustain everything that you've been through. And I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing your story. Hopefully it can open up the eyes of a lot of, you know, things that are people to see things that are happening with their body and with their loved ones, you know. And Mm -hmm. so for you, Dr. Ngaka, based on what Fuen just said, I mean, all this year she was in the UK when it was diagnosed. But then again, it's obvious that it had been misdiagnosed since from Cameroon when she was there. And I mean, even if it was here or in the West as well, that would be something really hard to diagnose early, especially considering her age. I mean, a young kid with a migraine, you know, the last thing you think about is multiple sclerosis, right? You would probably think about the stress they're going through in boarding school, or you think about them not sleeping, or you would just probably think about something else, a neuralgia, something else than multiple sclerosis. So with the difficulty that it takes to diagnose this disease, how is it, and you know, and the complexity of the series of tests and examinations that are being done in, you know, with patients, in, the, in this case with Fuen, she, had, she went through several blood tests, several examinations, several scans and stuff like that. I mean, in a country like Cameroon that does not have as many resources, like how are these diseases being diagnosed? Yeah, I think it's really, that's really where the issue is. Like, you know, in Cameroon, but in, in fact, in order to diagnose, you need to have a high index of suspicion. Yeah. Yeah, it means that you need to think about it. If you don't think about, if you don't think about it, you won't diagnose it. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, I think it's the first thing which I'll do, I'll talk to two groups of people. I'll talk to the medical uh, personnel and I'll talk also to patients. Mm-hmm. First thing to patients is when you have any symptoms, which are unusual in your body, it is good to consult a medic. Yeah. And uh, do not, you must not go to a traditional healer. Yeah. Go to somebody who will do a thorough diagnosis and rather let the medic tell you there is nothing wrong with you than for you to assume that there is nothing wrong. Yes. Because that assumption might be expensive, might cost you a lot. And the other thing, the other side of it goes, I mean, if patients could go to hospital as soon as possible, I think that would greatly help them. Yeah. And also, neurological disorders have manifestations. When you have a clue, currently in Cameroon, we have more and more neurologists in, main, in many of the regions. I wouldn't say all the regions, yeah. in many of the regions. So if you are not getting 
relieved from the care which you have, you could seek to see a specialist. It may be a neurologist or any specialty, depending on what you feel as symptom in your body. Mm-hmm. If you are feeling a problem with diarrhea, if you have a problem with diarrhea or constipation, mm-hmm. it's you can ask to, to see a doctor who takes care of diarrhea and constipation. If you have a problem with vertigo, with seeing, with yeah. blurry vision or anything, seek to see a specialist who looks at that problem. You may not know the name of the specialist, but ask your healthcare providers around. Mm-hmm. If is there a specialist who, who takes care of that kind of problem, I think they can help orientate you to meet such early. And in so doing, diagnosis can be done and treatment started as soon as possible. That's the first part. The second part goes to the health uh, personnel. Most diseases have a very typical presentation. And when you have a typical presentation, it is always good to think outside the box. Yeah. You can even, yes, you think outside the box. What else can it be? It's she has migraine at that age. Does does she have other symptoms which are unusual to the migraines which somebody of that age is supposed to have? If the person has abnormal symptoms, then you think outside just normal migraine and start considering other diagnoses. And the other part of it is when you have something which is unlike what you see often and you cannot explain, it is wisdom, it is wise, it is better for you to seek the opinion of somebody who is specialized in that domain. In so doing, the patient always benefits. Yeah. So that is those are the two first actions I'm going to address. And so now the challenge we have is most of the times the patients arrive us already late. Because either they have they've gone and seen the native doctor and moved to different places before coming, and that makes it really challenging. But generally, for and most of the cases we also do receive come from the ophthalmology unit. That means the patient has either lost his vision or blurred vision. He goes to consult an ophthalmologist who does evaluation and sees that no, there is nothing in the eye that can cause that. So probably the problem is from the brain. So they refer the patient to us for us to investigate and manage. Yeah. And one of the first things we do is to ask for MRIs and do lumbar taps and all of that, which are not readily available in all regions in Cameroon. For now, we have MRI just in Yaoundé and Guadalupe. <coughs> I heard that there is a center in, in the West region of Cameroon, that's in Bafusam, which we recently acquired an MRI. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you see that a region, a county with 10 regions, just three of them have MRIs. It makes the diagnosis really difficult. Yeah. So but yeah. with that, if... A neurologist who meets who, who receives such, such a patient with optic neuritis and has those weaknesses and the age, it is, you can't you can suspect that probably it is MS or any other inflammatory disease of a central nervous system, and you investigate in that light and uh, you see how to start treatment. The other axis, which the other area where we have difficulties, is usually the cost. Yes, some come and are not able to get <laughs> those these tests. Because to do an MRI, you do an MRI of the brain and the spinal cord for you to have a diagnosis. An MRI of the brain and spinal cord is, costs about 500,000 francs CFA, which is about wow. $1,000 wow. or $1,200. That's I mean, a that's lot just, of money. That's, but is. that's just for the MRI before the lumbar taps and other blood exams which you need to do. So it's sometimes really costly to get this uh, diagnosis done. And, and sometimes when the exams are requested for the patients, don't do it. But one of the things that we try to do some we try to do is to negotiate with the radiologists and the hospitals if they could help reduce costs. And some of them are really understanding and they help us. But we can't beg all the time because they're running those machines to <laughs> needs costs. So yeah. in some cases we succeed to negotiate and plead with the hospital to reduce 
cost or to do it for free and they do in some cases they are not able to do and that makes it also difficult our hands are tied we can't yeah. do much so it's really something tricky first of all from the community side they come into the hospital early secondly from the part of the doctor sometimes the index of suspicion is not very high and and the other part is also the cost of investigation so it's it's something that has a lot of challenge but i think the encouragement i'll give to average cameroonians is i know it's difficult but i would say our health is the greatest wealth we have yeah 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 it's the greatest wealth we have it's true that it costs much money but if we could sacrifice a lot we mobilize the families like we do because that's something that we do sometimes when you have a patient who cannot uh, get his test done i'll take my phone and i call different family members that you have a patient here and he's in a critical condition please kindly make available funds so you can investigate and treat this lady as soon as possible sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work so there's a lot that has to do in terms of mobilizing funds in terms of getting the population aware that they need to come to the hospital early and uh, another part on the medical personnel so i think that there are a good number of things that need to put in place and that's why i think that our discussion this evening is going to sensitize more and more the population. They will get aware of such conditions and what to do when they have symptoms, when they have any problems, they rush to the hospital fast so diagnosis can be done and treatment started as soon as possible. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, you know, you brought up a lot of very, very good points, especially when it has to do with the factors that kind of hinder people from seeking medical attention, which, of course, finances is always falls as number one, considering yeah. the cost that it entails just for diagnostic purposes and then not even talking about the treatment side of it. Yeah. Like Fuen had yeah. mentioned, I mean, the medications that Fuen is on, they're definitely specialty medications, meaning that, you know, they're very specialized for those specific rare diseases. And here, for example, in America, specialty medications are extremely expensive, very, very expensive. And I will only imagine, you know, the ability for a lot of people, even the well-to-do people to afford that continuously for years, because usually with these medications, you tend to take them for the rest of your life because well, yeah. i mean you're maintaining your nerves and if your nerves yeah. are destroyed <laughs> then nothing i mean you're just going to deteriorate to you know the end of your life so these are medications that you just don't take and stop because it's not like a malaria medication that you take for what 7 to 10 days or whatever you know like these are medications that you take for the rest of your life and if well, yeah. you know your income doesn't flow in as much as it's going out then of course you're going to hit a deficit so these are definitely things that, you know, we have to look into. I mean, personally, I really feel like I can use my platform and I can do a lot of things to make a difference in my community back home. And those are things that I, on a personal level, will be looking into to helping people, especially financially, who are going through these ordeals. Now, to me, I still find it weird, even as a health professional, that someone like Fuen, who I know, I kind of know some of her siblings, and I mean... All of them are relatively healthy. I mean, they're all healthy. You know, I haven't heard about, I mean, Fuen is the first person in our generation of friends that I have heard that has multiple sclerosis. And it makes me wonder, like, like, are there any risk factors for multiple sclerosis? Is it like, you know, is it genetic? Is there a family history? You know, all those questions keep running through my mind. And I'm, I believe they also run through your mind, Fuen. Like, you know, what did yeah. I do? 
is there anything that I did or is there anything that I was exposed to or who in my family? I'm sure your family now started trying to figure out, you know, yeah. if they have it or if they're safe as well. So how was that experience for you? And then we were going to ask Dr. Ngaka to give that scientific insight on the possible risk factors or if it has any relation to a family history. Yeah, when I got the diagnosis, the first thing I thought, like, ask my mom, like, anyone in your family ever had MS? Anyone had symptoms? I know of the usual high blood pressure, the, 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 the heart problems. Yeah. But nothing like MS. This was strange to both sides of my family. I asked my dad, any relatives with something like this? No. So I'm the first on both sides of the family. And I was like, I'm like, who, who doesn't like me in the family? Like, what, what is this? Oh, I was like, who, the who village people like are at me? work. They're working very hard. I remember going to, when I told my mom, she was quiet for a bit. It took me some time that I told my mom about the MS, and she was very quiet. And she goes, you'll be okay. You always are. I'm like, I know I will. Like, you know, I'm just asking for my sake. Like, what's going on? Anybody in the family? Any little cousins I don't know about that have something like this, fine. My dad cried. Oh. He's, he's like, I don't know where you got this from. This is not for you. I said, we're going to get it. Yeah, babies have cancer. So you can't say it's not for me. Babies don't ask for cancer, but yeah, they do have cancer. And then he was quiet. He goes, oh, you will say something like that. I'm like, to be fair, I don't know where it came from, but let's do something about this. And I know what, you know, when I get migraines, I know what happens, but it got me thinking, someone definitely has it in the family. But it's not genetic because no one in the family has it. Where do you come from? So I don't know the answer to that part, but I'm still digging because there's somebody, someone that definitely has it in the family. But mm. back in the day, they didn't keep statistics. Yeah, there's no data. They didn't have exactly nothing at all. So if they did have it, how we know? And my grandparents... Well, maybe are... it wasn't even diagnosed. Thank you. So I was thinking, you know what? I don't know. And there's somebody that alive telling me the story of how my grandmother or grandfather was back in the day. Like, do you know, was there anything wrong? What's going on? No answer. So at this moment, I'll take it as I'm the first of, hopefully the last to have this. Right. And with that mindset, I said, nope, he's not going to get me. Let's keep going. Let's keep active. Let's keep, keep it moving. And again, as well as the doctor said, you know, it doesn't run the family. But then when I read up on stories, or oh, I'm in MS groups, you have mothers and daughters who have MS. So it could be genetics as well. Hmm. So on my part, I'll say I'm not too sure where I got it from or who had it in the family. But when I'm on the groups, and you hear of the mother and the daughter, and you're like, no, God, no. Because yeah. NHS, I pay my taxes. That's why I can afford the medication. But if I went to the States, I will not survive. Because one vial, they say, is $10,000. I'm like, but who's hedged? Right. Like, no. So my taxes cover all of this. And, you know, it's it's hard, hard to not think about, you know, people back in Cameroon. Yeah. Or Africa in general. If you cannot afford it, you're finished. You will suffer, you suffer in silence at all. Right. And you're just going to deteriorate. Your body is just going to just slow. It's a slow death. It is. Because... Like the doctor said, man was the, me losing my vision. I couldn't, I couldn't ha- have anything done. I couldn't eat for some time. The vertical hit when once the vertical hit me again, January this year, I knew that I had a relapse. That was yes. the time I had a relapse. 
I had the MRI scan and I did have a relapse. And Doc was telling me, and I was just smiling. He goes, why are you smiling? I said, because I'm here. What do you want me to do about it? Like, you know, we move on. What are we doing about it? Not what it has happened. What are we doing about it now? Because if I sit and, sit and soak in it, then we'll be on for the rest of our lives. So it's it's the mindset. Pull yourself up and then have wonderful family and friends. That When I mentioned it, like, oh, what can we do? Just sit around and chat to me. That is it. Don't talk about the illness. Just chat to me. Right. And But my family attended all my appointments with me from day one. But in the hospital, they took chance to stay with me in the hospital. Because the first night of my treatment, they said I had some, I probably stepped on something in Cameroon and the, the not, not Jiga, I forgot the, the medical term. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the medical term, but it's been in my body ever since. And my since when? It says live in your body and it just keeps multiplying. But I can't feel it. I'm like, oh, which part of my body? So you probably stepped on it. I'm like, no, I like to walk barefoot. I'm like, oh, we did. So it's, I was thinking, I called my auntie. I was like, okay, auntie, they said this. I Googled it. I don't understand what they're talking about. Break it down for me. And she did. Again, went back. I don't know. I always think about Cameroon. I'm like, can you imagine people who have this kind of thing? I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. That's the first thing. Can you imagine people are walking out, kids without shoes, playing, mm-hmm. just normal play. You catch something. Oh, yeah. And it was developed, what, nine nine years down the line. You're thinking, where did this come from? Who does not like me? Who is, uh, nah. Nine things the village and so which in the fact. No, sometimes is what actually happens. So I thought about it. Doctors helped me with what they could do, what they could, you know, what they could tell me, but it's down to my medical, my family history, medical history, which I was just kind of limited based on what I knew, what they told, what I asked my parents told me. Apart from that, there's nothing much. Mm-hmm. Wow. So going back to the doctors, I was I was empty. I was empty. I said, this is what I know. Everything else doesn't happen. Right. Everything is new to me. Hmm. So I would say, people, please ask your family about their medical history. I don't yeah. know. Like, dig deep. Make a note of it. The life to just go deep. Yeah. And, and don't be afraid to write, to make a note. Like, I have a list of things my family has, I don't know if it's a scratch on your finger that will grow, write it down. Yeah. Say this wound has been there for the past 20 years, it's not going any, make a note of it. It's not what you think it is. Yeah. That's so the true. shock and uh, keep it moving is what's making me, keep it me. Just keep it moving. Don't look back. Just, I don't know. So yeah. it's, it's, it's tough, but every day, I have palpitations. I'm like, I have a heart problem now. Is it thyroid? Okay. Like my heart beats way too quick. Mm-hmm. And the doctor said to me, it doesn't happen often. I said, I just sit down and like a good 10 minutes. Because sometimes mm-hmm. you just, literally, I can't breathe. I can't do anything but just sit down and catch some air. So there are little things that, you know, when I think of MS and the side effects and after effects, it just confuses me a little bit more. Yeah. So then come as one, it comes to the package of many other illnesses. Yeah. So I'll suggest make sure you make a note and talk to your doctors. Don't keep anything back. Yeah. Do not keep anything back because when something happens and they'll be talking, it's like, oh, but you mentioned you had this. Like, oh, yeah, it happened a year ago. But you didn't tell me. Right. Because right. I was that year ago. Yeah. I mean, you know, what you said is very true. You know, I can't, you know, I, I really hope to actually launch like a campaign just to encourage, you know, 
knowing family history, because that's something that we don't tend to know. I mean, another thing that kind of um, hinders us in Cameroon is that we don't, our culture doesn't really, it's not really accepting of autopsies when someone dies to really yeah. understand what happened to that person. Because if someone just falls and dies, they'll be like, oh, maybe it's the village people or maybe they, oh, yeah. they, they, they just suspect <laughs> that, oh, I mean, the, the, the educated ones will probably be like, oh, it's heart disease or it's what, but what kind of heart disease? Do they have, yeah. you know, a heart attack? Do they have a cardiac arrest? Do they have, did they even have an organ failure? Did like, so many things can happen, you know, right. so, but it's very important to get that family history and know what, you know, your family members have, because that could determine what risk factors that you could potentially have towards a specific mm -hmm. disease. And it could also help with the diagnostic process, especially in countries in Africa, where there's a huge lack of health care resources, you know, so to you, Dr. Ngaka, are there any risk factors for MS? And is there any like family history mm -hmm. relation to MS? Okay, yeah, um, MS so far, medical science has not been able to put a finger on exactly what is the cause. There are two main. We have MS could be genetic. There, there are some hypotheses which say it has a genetic aspect because studies have found out that when you have a, a set of identical twin and one has MS, the other has a 25% chance, chance of developing MS too. Mm -hmm. So it says probably there might be a genetic contribution somewhere. So far up to now, they've not been able to put a finger, a finger exactly on what it, on, on, on what actually is, but there is that speculation. And the other, and a great part of it, more than 70% of them are sporadic. That means they just occur hmm. in life. And uh, there are some risk factors which have been postulated but not been concretely proven. But uh, for example, they say, with a vitamin D deficiency, long-term vitamin D deficiency, stress, all of those factors have been incriminated to contribute to developing MS. But a great part of it is sporadic. That means it just occurs mm -hmm. in life. And uh, because of a vitamin D, that's why it is said that you will have maybe a higher prevalence around the temperate region than you will have in sub-Saharan Africa because of the sun and all of that. Right. So those are the things. And uh, let me come now to what actually happens, like I said earlier. So in the pathophysiology, you have destruction of that rubber. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm using the cable with a rubber on top, which, which coats the, cup, the copper or the metallic thing inside. Mm -hmm. Once you have that destruction, it, it doesn't occur once. It's an ongoing process which is slow, but has bouts. We call them crises. You have crises regularly. Yeah, really. And these crises accumulate and lead to, yeah, each crisis has, will leave you with sickly. So over time, if you are not treated, you will have an accumulation of the sickly. A sickly, it's like um, the complication. If you have a motor weakness, maybe your muscle, your, your leg was completely paralyzed and non-functional. In the healing process, you might gain a little bit and you're able to use the, that limb a bit. If you have, again, another crisis which paralyzes the same limb, maybe your muscle strength, your muscle power you gained was at four on five. When that one heals, it leaves you now at three on five or two on five. So you see that over time, the disease is invalidating if it's not managed. Mm. So... That is why we have the need for treatment. They call them disease-modifying agents. The purpose of those drugs 
is to help. They call them immune modulators because the immune system is functioning in a haphazard manner, destroying itself. Yeah. So you need to do drugs which will help uh, put bring order in the immune system. Mm-hmm. So and like was said earlier, those drugs are damn expensive. Yeah. Damn expensive. I mean, it could cost almost about a thousand dollars a month. <laughs> I wonder how many Africans will afford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thousand dollars a month just to buy drugs, and that's yeah. the, that does not include your the tests which you will do along the line, and you have other bills to take care of. So its cost is really huge. So I think it's 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 a call for the powers that be to see how work can be done to reduce the cost of this treatment, so that many more of those who have MS and other inflammatory disease would have these drugs at reduced costs. For example, we know about dialysis. The cost of dialysis per, per session is about 200,000 francs here, which is wow. $100. A and a patient is supposed to, to do, say, two or three, three times a, a week. week. Yeah. That's a costly. Week. But, but yeah. what the government did is they subsidized that cost. And so patients pay, say, about 5,000 francs for that. So I think that the government and even different organizations could see how, or different organizations could see how to work with the government or, or the powers that be to see how to subsidize these drugs so patients who have this autoimmune disease can have their drugs at greatly reduced cost. And in so doing, it will improve the disease course and the quality of life of these patients. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, talking about the stigmas, right? Considering how rare this disease is, especially in Cameroon or Africa as a whole, do patients who have been diagnosed with MS typically experience any kind of stigma in Cameroon? Yeah, stigma is a common thing, especially for neuro- for almost all neurological disorders in, in Africa. Mm. I mean, firstly, one of the common manifestations of these inflammatory diseases, which MS is one of them, is the people lose vision. So somebody who doesn't see, explaining that by witchcraft, either you took somebody's thing and all of that. And and so they attribute any paralysis to the bad things you have been doing or your parents did or all of that. And so the stigma really never lacks because generally in Africa, we try to explain and look for a way to incriminate and blame someone for anything that befalls us. And that in itself is a cause of stigma. If we could understand that some things could happen in life, I mean, Nobody bought it. Nobody bargained for that. It just happened. It happens, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. It just happens in life. The person didn't buy it. He didn't bargain for it. If the earlier we understand that, we will know how to, 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 to bear with them, to bear with those who have such conditions, accept them, and help them live normal lives. So stigma remains a very big thing in Cameroon yeah. as concerns any of these diseases because they are greatly invalidating. Right. That's very true, actually. I mean, talking about stigma, I mean, I had an episode with my family and we were talking about my brother who actually has a nerve disorder. Well, he had he started by having infantile spasms, which are just, you know, Mm -hmm. seizures as a baby. And that, of course, you know, progressed to a more complex seizure disorder, but in, in his adulthood. But I remember, you know, if you haven't listened to that episode, it's apparently very powerful. I almost did not. I almost did not post that episode because it was extremely emotional. But my family, we sat down for the first time to talk about it. And, you know, we, we actually spoke a lot about the stigma that 
we had to face a lot of people. I mean, you had all kinds of stories because my brother, I mean, having a seizure back then in the 90s was not really something common. So, you know, when the child has a seizure, they're like, it's an attack from the devil. My dad has done something or my granddad has done something. Or they said the child is a snake and the, the child is Obanje. Like they were just, I mean, it was, it was horrible. But, I, you know, it's, it's a very great episode in terms of giving insight on how cruel our African community can potentially be sometimes. And also just, you know, giving further insight on understanding our mentality. Yeah. Our mentality when it has to do with things that we're not familiar with, you know, oh, yeah. and we have to get that understanding, like you said, that things can just happen. You mustn't be the cause for things to happen. They can just happen. Oh, yeah. It could just be part exactly. of life, you know. So for you, Fuen, did you experience any stigma with the MS diagnosis? Initially, I, I didn't tell many people because, again, I was trying to process it myself. And before I started talking about it, I had to make sure my family understood what it was. And the term disability or you're disabled income, I thought you have to be in a wheelchair. You have to, you understand. It was, mm. it was strange for me. But then I'm, in the UK, I'm classified as disabled. Mm. So I told somebody in Cameroon, you're disabled. Like, ah, but you're walking. You're doing this. You're doing that. Right. So it's, it's strange. That people will not believe that, okay, this is the situation. But I went to Cameroon recently, and I was sitting with my classmates. And I, so I told them, I said, listen, you guys should be more open. And I went to Cameroon community here in, in the UK. And I said, it's tough for me to, you know, it's my it's my personal problem. And that's one thing I did in Cameroon. We'll, we'll keep this to ourselves. It's a secret. Yes. Don't tell. Don't talk. You yeah. must not know. It's not for you. It's for other people. Right. It's for other people. It's not for you. So don't be selfish with the information that you know and that you have. Yeah. You need to be helping somebody. Yeah, that's true. So first of all, accept what you have. Mm-hmm. And let people know that, listen, it's not, it's, not that, it's not as bad as things were back in the day. Yeah. It's my story to tell. Yeah. yeah. I want to tell the story and you're lost. Let them come to me. Yeah. So you're not giving half information out on the belt. Yeah. So it's no stigma yet. Yeah. yeah, people are so. Oh, you can you cannot be disabled. You're walking up and down. You're you're here. You're there. You're all over. You can drive. It's the perception of what you see from what you know. Yeah, it's up to you. Yeah, that's that very true. I mean, and I'm super proud, and I really want to thank you for sharing your story. I'm super proud of you for actually <laughs> doing that. And like you rightfully said, it's not it's your story to tell, and there's no need keeping things. And that's why I really created this platform for us to have such open conversations. Because it's extremely important for us to share our stories because you will be surprised how many people are going through the same thing. I mean, I had no idea how many people sent me messages when I shared my brother's story. A lot of families Mm -hmm. that are going through the same thing. A lot of people who may not necessarily be going through the same thing, but also experience stigma. I mean, it was overwhelming to say the least, you know. And when people know that it's okay for me to talk about my story. I'm not the only one going through this. It kind of consoles us and brings us together as a community to share our issues and be of support to one another. Because there are a lot of people who are putting a smile out there on their faces, but they're going through so much. And when we get to know each other's problems, it gives us some level of empathy and we can be more, we can be nicer. We can be more, you know, soft. We can be softer and just more welcoming to other people and their issues and less judgmental because we have a very judgmental community, you know? So that's really why I wanted us to have this open conversations and talk about this. Now to you, Dr. Ngaka, you had previously and quick and briefly mentioned about like the twin of multiple sclerosis, which is neuromyelitis optica or Devic's disease. And you had mentioned that it's 
actually more commonly diagnosed in Cameroon or Africa compared to multiple sclerosis. So can you just quickly tell us more about that disease and also what is a differential diagnosis when compared to multiple sclerosis? Defix's disease has very similar manifestations to multiple sclerosis. The main difference is that in Davix disease, it's true, they both touch the myelin sheet. The myelin sheet is that rubber. Yeah. On but in this case, you have a specific proton on that rubber which is destroyed. They call that aquaporin 4. Aquaporin 4, it's a proton which permits movement of water in and out of the nerve cell along the myelin sheet. And when that when that proton is destroyed, it will lead to eventual destruction of the myelin sheet and helps in rapid impulse transmission across the nerve fiber. So generally, the manifestations are the same. But in multiple sclerosis, the demyelination, the destruction of this rubber will occur both in the brain and in the spinal cord. But in neuromyelitis optica, it touches more in the spinal cord than you will have in the brain. So most of the times, the patient will present with visual problems and uh, problems on their four limbs at once. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in multiple sclerosis, they could eventually have cognitive problems because nerves in the brain have been destroyed. So that's the main difference, but they are very alike. When, and so one is always a differential of the other. They are very good friends. They okay. are a twin. There's just a thin margin that separates both of them. All and right. the managements also are slightly different. Right. But they are the same groups of drugs who are called immune modulators. Okay. So, and both of them are sporadic. So we have very little genetic components. All right. But Thank now, you. one main difference or one main thing with neuromyelitis optica is that it is more severe than multiple sclerosis. Hmm. It has, it, there are more episodes, more frequent episodes than you will have with multiple sclerosis. When you have someone and you put on treatment, the frequency of his, of his uh, crisis will significantly reduce. Let's say if he was having 10, he could reduce it to 2. But for neuromyelitis optica, when somebody was having 10, and you put on treatment, it goes down to 5. And like I said, you see, each crisis is going to leave a weakness, and that will accumulate over time to give... Um, uh, to, to make the patient independent, to make the person dependent later on in life. So it's right. more severe than multiple sclerosis. Right. And given that as a patient, you don't know which is which, that's why when you have any of the symptoms I mentioned earlier, consult your healthcare provider as soon as possible. Okay, thank you so much for sharing that, Doc. And so talking about treatment, right, what do you always advise your patients prior to starting therapy? And how does the therapy, like what is the course of therapy for this patient? Generally, when the patients come in the acute phase, you have to admit them and give them methylprednisolone, mm-hmm. which they will take for three to five days, yes. And upon discharge, you will give them, you give them a while hospitalized, they receive high doses, up to one gram. 1,000 milligrams of methylprednisolone. And upon discharge, you reduce to about to one milligrams kilo. 
and you associate that with other immune modulators. Why do you associate with immune modulators? Because those immune modulators take about three months for you to have the effect. Yeah. Normally, you could put the patient on just steroid and they take it for life, but steroid has a lot of side effects, a lot of them. So mm-hmm. you can't keep a patient on steroids for long. Mm-hmm. So you have to associate these immune modulators. And given these immune modulators take time to take effect, you have to associate them with steroids. After, say, a month or two or three, you taper down the dose of the steroids and the patient continues with the immune modulators for life. And uh, you need to do constant checkup. You have to do blood tests, kidney tests regularly in order to check for some complications which could come from a long-term use of immune modulators. And so that's what the patient takes. And if the patient has a crisis, he's hospitalized again and administered high-dose steroids. I mean, so that's how it goes. Yes, you might either, it might cause you to either modify the treatment by either give another one or you increase the dose of the immune modulators you are, you are admission to the patient. So it depends on how the patient is evolving on treatment. Right. And apart from that, you, you also need to put uh, measures in place to manage to help the patient recover. That's the role of physiotherapy. The patient yeah. needs to do a regular physiotherapy that will help in recovery. And uh, if the patient develops some complications which could be painful, you could give them analgesics which will help calm or reduce the pain. And uh, if the patient has sphincter disorders, you see how to re-educate and all of that. So there are other measures which come into play. And there is one which is capital, sometimes neglected, but important if if psychosocial support. Yeah. These patients need a lot of support. I mean, imagine a young girl Mm-hmm. who is vibrant and suddenly has to be pulled on a wheelchair. Yeah. I mean, it's trauma. I mean, you can't wish that for your greatest enemy. Yeah. I mean, it's horrible. All right? So they need a lot of support. I mean, the person's life has come to a stand. Somebody was active, going to work, fending for, for the family and all of that. So they need a lot of support. So regularly, you ask them to, uh, to see a psychotherapist, and you as the specialist, you also need to ensure you counsel the patient each time you meet and right. make sure the family is aware, is around, and give the patient the support that he or she needs yeah. uh, in the course of my illness. Yeah, that, that's very true. I mean, having an abrupt disease like that or having a disease like that very abrupt, a disease that severe could definitely take a toll on your mental and emotional health. You know, so that is something that should definitely be promoted and encouraged, especially within our community where we tend to really not focus a lot on mental health compared to like other fields, you know, other diseases and stuff like that. So that's something that, you know, it's very important. And I want to thank you very much for sharing that. And to you, Fuen, like how has this whole experience affected you physically, emotionally, mentally, and how has it affected your quality of life? Uh, it, I, I literally didn't stop crying for over a year. I'd say, uh, counselor. I had sessions every Tuesday for an hour. And I just going to just cry. I was just crying. Because, like, how do I start stop doing this? How do I start doing this? Because certain things I do at work, I couldn't do anymore. Not as much, not as good as before. And work was great because they'll have to put certain things in place, certain mm-hmm. measures in place to assist me with you know, carrying on with my usual job. But that's one side of it. Because the other side, I'm smiling, but deep down, it's not okay. Because the times I go to my house, I can barely walk around. Like I said, because I know the structure of my place, it makes it easier. Hmm. But at times when nothing works, I'm scared to go somewhere else I don't know because what if I collapse and no one to help me? Yeah. I love my siblings to help me. They're very far. What to do? So many what ifs, what ifs. And... 
but I had to be strong. Not for, for somebody else. So I may decide to help the next day with the same information I do have. So I make most of things. Um, doctor spoke about vitamin D. I take it religiously. Religiously because it's going to help with my bones, they say. I don't know. If it works, it doesn't work, but I don't stop taking it. Mm-hmm. Take your vitamins seriously. Research. Ask your doctors which is going to help you. I was doing some research on lion's mane from some group, and it's going to help with the myelin sheath because mine has, as doctor said, broken off. And how do I rebuild it? Maybe I won't, but it's going to help me in the long run. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. Train your mind to know that you will not be as before, but it does get better. Yeah. As I see, I'm going to see in the future, it's going to get better, it's going to get better. So what do I do? There is hope. Okay. I don't want to say there is hope out there. Yeah, there is. There is. Thank you so, so much. And I really, I really like your, your outlook on the whole thing, you know, because not many people can have that same kind of outlook. So thank you so much for sharing. Now, can multiple sclerosis, and this goes to you, Dr. Ngaka, can multiple sclerosis be prevented? And is it also something like, you know, how we screen for hypertension, diabetes, and, you know, heart disease? Can it be screened for? Yes, generally, it's not screened for, given it's sporadic, it just occurs. Yeah, it can be screened for, but given that there is some genetic component, it's good. The, 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 the easy way you can do is just to have a, a, a high index of suspicion. Mm. That means if you have a family member who has such a condition, if you have any manifestation, I mean, any manifestation which uh, involves your sight or any limb, any limb, it's good to consult as soon as possible. Just the key thing here, it's early diagnosis, it's early suspicion. Suspect mm. it and you start treatment as soon as possible. Right. I mean, that's the unfortunate thing with it. But, like I said, if the, if, if the diagnosis is done early enough and you are put on treatment, it can greatly help disease cause. Right. So, I mean, it may not be preventable upstream as such, but when diagnosis is done early enough, a lot can be done to reduce its cause and improve quality of life. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. So coming towards the end of our conversation, and I just wanted to get like some input from both of you, especially considering everything that we have discussed about. So based on your experience to you, when this question is directed to you, based on your experience, what is the general advice that you will give to patients who are living with multiple sclerosis and also what advice will you give to the community as a whole in terms of you know supporting patients that are living with multiple sclerosis the advice i'll give people living with multiple sclerosis is don't give up believe in yourself because once you think okay i have this i can't progress i can't do this it's going to drain you and you cannot live down below Mm. it's going to hit you once so encourage yourself, put yourself up, go out, do something you haven't done before. Like, and the community, don't suspect people. I know camera community can sometimes make you feel like, you know, I shouldn't be telling you this because it's a secret. Yeah. Spread the word. Right. Someone needs that word. Someone needs that information. Someone can benefit and help other people. Because if I decide to keep it to myself all this time, and just my family and you, fine. You think I'm okay because I'm walking about and smiling, but deep down, I'm in hospital every month and something after another. Spread the world and support each other. Support is so big. Yes. 
so big. The little you can do, if you just want to help me, maybe, you know, come and stay in my house for a bit, support me. It's not a problem. It means a lot when you have a, you know, a good community around you. What, what can I do to help? What can I do to be around you? What can I do that's different that you benefit from? Mm-hmm. So I love the support. And for my family, it's amazing. Like my siblings and I were so tight. It's ridiculous. So before I guess my parents, well, we'll discuss what we're going to do next. Like right. This is what's happening. What's the plan? What do you think? And right. the doctor said to me, oh, you came your sister. You bring another sister. Now you bring your brother. I said, I can bring the rest of the family. That's what it was. Right. So it's the support I get that gives me the courage to carry on. So when I travel, since I regularly get migraine, I go on my migraine tablet. I only them behind. So you get something that is very regular. Right. Take medication with you. Right. Don't go there and it happens there. It's that people start running around. Oh, what do we do? What's going to work? Use what works for you. Yeah. And do your research. And ask doctors. Yeah. The high doc, I saw this online. People say it helps with this, like the, the MS helps with the migraines, helps rebuild this. What do you think? So That's it shows that you've done some sort of research. Can you advise me on this? Should I do it? Should I take it or not? Should I buy it or not? Yeah. So it's for you. He won't tell you that. Um, I don't know because you've done research. So how, what can you say? What, how is that going to help me? Yeah. So that's why I do. I just go behind the scenes and pick up some things that will help me. Yeah. And then carry on. Yeah. That's very so. true. That's very true. And I mean, if there's one thing as well that I'm getting from what you're saying, in addition to, you know, like supporting one another, especially supporting the patient, is that as a patient, you have to be your own advocate at some point as well. Right. Because I mean, doctors see 100 thousands of patients right and they can't spread it's just one doctor they can't spread themselves to all the patients but sometimes when you are pushful and you're your own advocate then it actually helps and motivates the doctors to even put more attention to you not to say that doctors are not putting attention but you know when you're knowledgeable enough and you know what you want then it actually helps the treatment or the therapeutic process you know so i mean and i've learned i learned this a lot especially from talking to People, guests here on the podcast who, I mean, I spoke to p- cancer patients, like my, my dear friend Gwen, who had breast cancer. Like, if she wasn't yeah. pushful, they wouldn't have diagnosed her with cancer when she when they did. You know, like, do your research. Know your body. Above all, know your body. If you're not feeling, your body can never lie to you. That's one thing. Your body can never lie to you. And we, I mean... I, I can say that I've, I've had a lot of friends who, you know, have experienced very, very weird things and some have paid attention to it and some have not and suffered the consequences, unfortunately. But it's very important to know your body and be an advocate. Do not take anything that you feel for granted because your body will never lie to you. Your body will never lie to you. I can't emphasize that enough. Now to you, Dr. Ngaka, what advice will you give to, especially to our members of our African community about multiple sclerosis and how we can collectively demystify the stigma surrounding it? Yes, I, I think that the first thing we, our population needs to know is that the greatest wealth we have is health. Yeah. We can't emphasize that. So it is never too much to spend on your health. And uh, it is said that when treatment is started early enough, it spares you more money eventually. Because when you come late, you will spend more money, but you might not get the results which you need mm-hmm. or, which was, or which is expected. So, so that let's practice the habit of consulting when we have symptoms which are new in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Let's consult regularly and sometimes seek to see specialists in particular domains. Know the names of your specialists. Feel free, if you, if you, if you cannot 
called the, the, the medical name of the specialist, a gastroenterologist, to just say they stomp, the doctor that manages stomach problems, stomach disorder, doctor that manages breathing problems. I think that it, it, it's through that someone can orientate you on what to find. And when you meet a specialist, it will help you a lot. And that's the first part. The other part, which I think it's important, is that it's the aspect of stigma. Please, please, nobody went to the market and bought an illness. Yeah. Though, and it could happen to anyone. Like I said, it's sporadic. You didn't get money to go buy it from the market. I mean, yeah. it happened to anyone. And because it can happen to anyone, even to your loved one, be fair and be kind to patients and support them yeah. and help them. And never always think that they are having this because they did something. It could just yeah. happen without they doing anything. I think it's important. And then the other thing I would say is may the powers that be work very hard to make diagnosis and treatment accessible, yeah. both financially and also materially in terms of the, the resources needed, making available the, the technology needed for this to happen. That let's make all of that accessible so that patients can be diagnosed early, put on treatments early, and in so doing, it will greatly help uh, the community and people with multiple sclerosis and other inflammatory diseases. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you guys so much for this insightful conversation. I really hope that it helps a lot of people and gives more knowledge out there as it has done to me. Now, for you, Fuen, how can people contact you or support a cause that you're passionate about? Uh, You can contact me via my email address. Uh, It's Fuen, F-U-E-N dot Berry, B-E-R-I at gmail dot com. And send me an email. Have a conversation. Be about MS. Or just help out. I'm interested in supporting Cameroonians to get to know about MS. Right. And to seek medical help because right now it's an underlying illness that we don't know about in Cameroon and we should know about it because you never know what happens and to whom it happens to. Maybe you or maybe you're, you're a young kid. The age gap for it to develop is, you know, it's quite long for women. Mm-hmm. It's quite huge for women. So send me an email and then we'll have a chat. Right. Thank you so yeah. much. What about you, Dr. Thank Ngaka? You. How could people contact you or support okay, a cause um, that you're passionate about? Yes, Leonard Ngaka. Like, um, you can contact me on my email, which is lngarka at yahoo.com. That's my email address. And you could get to me if there's anything that we can launch from there and see how to continue right. the discussion eventually. Right. You actually practice in Cameroon. Yes, as well. So how can people, for those in Cameroon, how can they benefit from your services as well? Yes, I work at the Yaoundé Central Hospital as a neurologist, precisely in the neurology unit. And I also teach in the Faculty of Medicine and Biomedical Science of the University of Yaoundé 1. So in the Central Hospital, it's possible to get to me there. I cons- I'm there every day of the week, Mondays to- Monday through Friday. But I consult usually on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 8 a.m. Okay. Thank you very much. And do you have a work phone number, an office number, or they can just reach you at the hospital? Okay, my phone, my work phone number is uh, plus two three seven years six nine nine eight eight six four eight four. Okay, and I'm gonna have all of that information in the show notes of this podcast for those who want 
to contact both Fuen and Dr. Ngaka, especially Dr. Ngaka to get his, you know, to be his patient or to see him for consultation and stuff. He's one of the very good neurologists in the country of Cameroon. So if you want to see him, I'll have his contact information as well in the in the show notes. But I really want to thank you both from the bottom of my heart for sharing your story, for sharing your expertise with our community. You know, conversations like this just empower me to even want to dig deeper and bring out other topics that will really help our people and i really hope that we can not end this conversation here i hope that this conversation goes to different circles for us to you know for it to spark more conversations for us to really look into ourselves and look at all those symptoms that we may not have been ignoring to really try to look deeper into it and see a doctor or just not ignore them because these are conversations that are very needed, especially about rare diseases as multiple sclerosis or even uh, the Devix disease. So I really want to thank you guys so much for taking your time to to speak with me. And I don't know if you have any last words before we end. Look after yourself. If you don't feel well, make sure you go see a doctor, demand an MRI scan where you are, depending on where you are. And yeah, get a second opinion as well. Right. Make sure you get seen. Make sure you get seen. That's what I'll tell you. Thank you. What about you, Doctor? And don't give up hope either. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, the body never lies. So when you feel something abnormal, it's good to contact a healthcare professional. Okay. For that to be assessed, yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. And I know we're different time zones. I wish you guys a great week ahead and a good night and I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.